0: Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader.
1: We're not here to just get through the processes and make sure the money balances and do the recruitment. We're here to actually deliver that vision. And I I think good leaders really keep that at the forefront of their mind all the time.
0: Welcome to The Human CEO, I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Kerry Jackson. Kerry's is the CEO of St Gemma's Hospice, a Leeds-based charity providing expert care and support for local people with terminal or life-limiting illnesses along with their families. Kerry took up the post of Chief Exec of St Gemma's in 2010 and since then has been responsible for the strategic leadership of St Gemma's with a focus on delivering the highest quality, palliative and end-of-life care, education and research. With an outstanding reputation of success in multiple leadership roles within various healthcare settings, Kerry joins us today to share her insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Kerry. It's great to have you with us.
1: Thanks very much, Amy. It's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: You know, looking forward to hearing your story. So, can you tell us a little bit about the organisation that you lead and what you're working towards, please?
1: Yep, yeah, sure. So, I'm uh, chief executive of St Gemma's Hospice, which is mm-hmm. uh, an independent hospice based in North Leeds. Um, one of about 200 similar kinds of organisation across the country. Mm-hmm. And hospices really were set up originally in response to um, a very medicalised model of care, which I think in some ways saw death as a bit of a failure, even though we all die, it's coming to us all. Um, so the hospice movement sort of sprang up to redress that. So our vision as, as an organisation is that the needs of all people with a terminal illness and all of their families, all of their needs will be met and met with compassion and skill. So, so that's... That's where we're heading and what we do to deliver that is really deliver specialist palliative care Mm -hmm. and care at the very end of life for people. But it's a very much a a holistic model of care. So we think about the person's physical needs, about their spiritual, emotional, about their mental health, about their family situation. So for somebody to be referred to us, it might be because they've got physical symptoms. Often it is so pain or nausea or... Mm -hmm but but sometimes it might be because the whole family situation is really difficult and often we come in and provide the glue really before between different services so people will have their gp involved the hospital mm-hmm. might be involved in somebody's life at that point community services and we come in and provide specialist care and the glue that holds it it all together mm-hmm. I suppose the other really in, important bits of that are caring for families. So both before somebody dies and afterwards when they're bereaved, mm-hmm. educating professionals. So we do a huge amount of education and research because okay. through, through doing those, we can deliver that vision of people's needs being met to a much broader audience. If we, if we train a GP or train a district nurse, uh, train a worker in a care home, mm-hmm. then it means wherever people are getting care at the end of life it improves that care yeah absolutely
0: absolutely i've not considered it from that that perspective and forgive my ignorance but obviously sadly we're all aware of hospices and and the need for them but i've not even considered from the education point of view so it's fantastic that you're also also doing that
1: yeah and we were set up actually our, our founder we were founded by sisters of the cross and passion who i will no doubt talk about again but um so a catholic order of sisters and their founder was an educationalist so she um educated poor people in in manchester Mm -hmm. that's where the order started and so education has, from the day we were founded in 1978 education has always been a really important part of, of what we do
0: yeah, yeah. I suppose it expands the work that you do as well, doesn't it? It expands the, the influence and the power of what you yeah, do.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we work in partnership with the University of Leeds and mm-hmm. we have got a, an academic unit of palliative care in Leeds yeah. and we're a university teaching hospice. So it is, yeah, yeah, it's very important to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and so you've been with the organisation 12 years towards the end of this year, will it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a
0: leader of that kind of organisation, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment?
1: There are always plenty of challenges on there. Um, I think that the past two years um, with the COVID pandemic have, have been really, really difficult, and I, I suppose as, as it, it feels that the whole world is coming out of or the. Our society is coming out of COVID. Mm-hmm. I don't think we are in health and care settings at all. Okay. Um, so we're still really seeing the impact of that, particularly in terms of still having a lot of infection prevention uh, measures in place and still having really high levels of staff absence. So, with either with staff who've got COVID or have got a family household contact of COVID, um, we're still asking people to stay at home in that in that situation because our patients are so vulnerable. Yeah, of course. So yeah. I think COVID is it continues to have a an impact, but I think more widely and looking to the future, we we know that the need for palliative and end of life care is rising mm-hmm. because we've got an ageing population um, and people are living longer, but we de- we definitely are seeing a year-on-year rise in the number of people dying. Okay. But what comes with that, because people are living longer, they're tending to get to the end of their lives with lots of different conditions. Mm-hmm. So instead of, as you might have done 30 years, dying at 65 from a heart attack or from cancer, people are living much longer and living with different conditions. So the complexity is much greater in, in mm-hmm. the care that, that we provide. Also more people want to die at home. And in the UK, about half of people die in hospital, but that is often not where people want to die. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen during the pandemic is that many more people have died at home. And I think partly that's because the visiting restrictions in hospital have have often been so restricted that people didn't want to be in that place. Mm -hmm. But even as those restrictions have lifted a bit, we haven't seen that pattern changing. So one of our challenges is is how do we adapt our care and our services to reflect that greater dying at home? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what we do at the hospice is we provide, we've got up to 20 inpatients here at the hospice in in Moortown on any mm-hmm. one day. Um, but we've probably got about 300 patients who we're supporting at home in their own homes or in care homes or in hostels or you know wherever they're, wherever they live
0: yeah
1: yeah. um i mean the other the other couple of things that i would point to in terms of um thinking about the the future and our challenges are nursing staffing and there is a shortage of nursing staffing across the whole of the uk Mm -hmm. and in leeds there are about 850 vacant registered nursing posts across the whole system so it's what we don't want to do is just kind of poach stuff from one organisation to another. Um, mm-hmm. But but what we do want to do is provide an environment where people really want to come and work for us mm-hmm. and support that ongoing training, development, apprenticeship, giving our teams real opportunities um, to develop. Mm-hmm.
0: And so does the apprenticeship route, does that, that provide, I, I guess, it's more of a long-term solution than a than a short-term fix, but is that something that you're investing in at the moment? Are you able to go down that route?
1: Yeah, absolutely, we are doing so. We've had, um, we've put some of our team through a healthcare assistant apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. So, and actually, the first people have been through that have been staff who were working here already, but in our facility services. And they've gone through a training program with us and gone out of the organization to become qualified healthcare assistants. But we've also had a couple of our team go through a registered nursing associate program which again is amazing, to mm-hmm. um, so the nursing associate and the registered nurse. We've gone down down both routes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's difficult to do as a small organisation because it takes yeah. a lot of time and a lot of resource, but it, it, it's great for the individuals who've been through the programme. It's brilliant for us in terms of retaining those staff and supporting them and how engaged yeah. they are.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we'll I do speak- more of it. Good, good. I was speaking with an HR director the other day that was sort of saying, in a in an ideal world, you'd get all the organisations together that were looking for the same kind of talent, and you'd pool your resources to train those individuals. And uh, it's very much an ideal world, isn't it? But it's, I think, there has to be an answer out there somewhere, and I think collaboration could form part of it.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what we are trying to. Do. So I think Leeds is great from a health and care point of view, is that we that we really try do try to work together across the system. Mm-hmm. And the health and care reforms are pushing us in that direction anyway but we have been doing it for quite a while in Leeds mm-hmm. and the Leeds Health and Care Academy is trying to do exactly what you've just described.
0: Brilliant.
1: So how do we if our biggest shortage is in social care which a lot of it is at the moment how mm-hmm. do we provide opportunities provide the training um, and then put people into support people into different organisations yeah, yeah. and we're talking about having more rotational nursing posts and you know these Brilliant. kind of cross city developments which are, yes is what we should be doing and sharing the training resources the expertise the mm-hmm. the, the, the people that we've got to use them yeah. in the best way
0: yeah absolutely and provide opportunities for them as well because i think that's the key to to retention isn't it to be able to provide that challenge and that diversity in career path if you're able to do that across those organizations that's yeah that's a win for everybody isn't it eventually
1: yeah, wouldn't it be great if we, this is what we've talked about, having a, a programme where a, a trainee nurse, for example, can work in four organisations as they train and then they're yeah. guaranteed at the end they can choose which of those four organisations they want a job in. That, yeah, yeah. that kind of model would be, it's a great aspiration, isn't it?
0: Yes, yeah, definitely. And then thinking about um, leadership then and leadership skills, I'm really interested to understand from a from a chief exec's perspective, do you feel as though there are characteristics that all good leaders should have I mean how would you define a great leader from a characteristic or skills perspective
1: I suppose if I if I think about a a great leader I I think often the great leaders that I've seen and leaders I've tried to emulate Mm. are people who don't necessarily have to have all the answers they they surround themselves by brilliant people Mm -hmm. um and un- and understand and recognise that those people, particularly in a, in a place like mine where those people are close to provision of clinical care, much closer than I am, mm-hmm. where they have got the skills, they've got the expertise, they're highly capable. And your my role, I think, as a leader and a good leader, is to um, is to get the best out of those people, mm-hmm. to to make them be their best selves, to trust them, to absolutely back them when they get it wrong, which we all get it wrong sometimes, don't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to and to, to I suppose have a bit of humility.
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and in the environment that you're working in, I would imagine it's very high pressure. Sometimes it takes a special special type of person to be in that environment and be able to give so much so frequently.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right. But if I think about the team here, so there are six of us who are our hospice leadership team, mm. and I think we do very much work together as a team of leaders and support each other. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're we're very close. We tend to discuss discuss problems in the round, and we'll often end up with five of us thinking one thing, and the sixth person saying, "No, I don't agree with that at all." And I uh-huh. really like that way of leading. It's really powerful because we then yes. hear that sixth voice of, um, "No, we've got this completely wrong." Uh-huh. So I think the the openness to challenge um, and the recognition that. An organisation has a heart and a soul, doesn't it? We're not yeah. here to just get through the processes and make sure the money balances and do the recruitment. We're here to actually deliver that vision. And I, I think good leaders really keep that at the forefront of their mind all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And so can you tell us a bit about your journey into leadership? Was it quite an organic process? Because I had a little look at your LinkedIn profile. I saw an English
1: and economics degree and then uh, Deloitte, were you... Was that your first role out of university? Yeah, so that that was my first kind of professional job, if you like, after my part-time jobs when I was at school and everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I trained as an accountant, which I think my my mum was totally horrified by. That <laughs> she she always she had a vision that I'd be a solicitor, but I don't know, I don't see why that's any better anyway. But <laughs> um, so I did accountancy for about eight years, and mm-hmm. that gave me a really great grounding, I think, in in seeing different businesses and understanding. The hard nose of, of that kind of business where yeah. people come and go with with some some alarming frequency sometimes. Uh-huh. Um but from there I went into um healthcare. But I started in healthcare at the Department of Health, where wow. I was for a couple of years. And I then was—I got a, a secondment to Leeds Teaching Hospitals Trust. I was only ever supposed to be there for six months, um, but I ended up being there for a decade, and I led the project to build a big new cancer centre at St James's um, okay. Bexley Wing. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting, again, because I was working half of my life was working with the NHS and that culture and that environment. And because it was a big new build project, Mm -hmm. I also spent a lot of time working with the private sector. Yeah. So an interesting crossover between the two. And I was reflecting before I spoke to you, Amy, about the fact that I worked with a lot of men at that point. um, And a lot of really, so, so the building world and the legal world that supported that project was a huge number of men, and then I was walk, working with a lot of a much more mixed hospital team, but a lot mm-hmm. of consultants and 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 sometimes it was that was a difficult balance. Okay. And there were um, brilliant people, but you mm-hmm. you know the political game sometimes seemed to be quite challenging. Yeah. And I have to say, I never ever felt in that role that I was a great leader. Um, I always felt that um, I was watching well that I really noticed all of my failures day to day and if I had a success I would just be joyful at the fact that it had gone so well. <laughs> but I was a lot younger then you know so that does make a difference but I think when I came here to St Gemma's it it's has been a really really different experience and I suppose I feel that it's a it's probably a culture that suits me more um, and it's somewhere where I feel I can be who I am mm-hmm. um, and be really open about that. And I've always felt massively supported and let the culture and the values fit with with who I am and, and who I want to be. Yeah, it's
0: important.
1: Yeah. And I I went on a leadership course at the NHS Leadership Academy. Mm-hmm. And it was called Intersect, and it had 40 leaders from across different sectors. So it was all about trying to work across systems. Yeah. And as part of that course, we had um, we had to get personal feedback from our colleagues, get them to sit down in front of you and tell them what they liked about you, what they didn't, what was great, what wasn't. And we also got feedback from the rest of the people on the course and did a load of personal analysis. And yeah. that was absolutely eye-opening for me to see how other people saw me. Mm-hmm. And that was probably where I thought, the, the moment where I thought, oh, I am quite good at this.
0: <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? When you've worked at, at that level for a while and then it still takes somebody else's perspective to, for you to sort of accept it almost.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's that imposter syndrome, isn't it, that so many <laughs> yeah. of us have. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing, actually. I think to keep on questioning yourself about, am I good enough at this? Am I being my best self? Am I doing yeah. my best job? I think that drives me forward more than holding me back.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've said for years, the day I sit back and go, I know it all is the day that I do something else.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We've always got something to learn, haven't we? Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely.
1: Mm. And,
0: And speaking of learning then, has there been an experience or a piece of advice that someone's given you earlier on in your career that's really shaped your approach to leadership? Is there a piece of advice that stands out?
1: When I first came here to St Gemma's, we had a, a chair of the board at the time um, who was a doctor and she said to me, um, don't, don't rush at things, don't try and make decisions quickly, get to know the organisation, get to know the people and listen to people's perspectives and opinions and don't feel that you have to make your mark okay. and if you don't do anything for a year, that's fine by me, she said. And I thought that was just such a massive gift to me. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, because I, clearly, it's it's very very hard to come into a new organisation and not do anything for you. And I did make changes in that year. But it mm-hmm. that permission giving, I I say that to people who come to work now at St Gemma's, it's gonna be really hard when you first get here. Any organization is difficult. Don't feel that you have to be on top of it really quickly. Give yourself yes. the time and learn. And and I suppose I've, I have taken that forward in lots of different areas. I'm much more willing to sit back and think, let's look at this problem, let's look at this issue um, and let's give it a bit of time to ferment and yeah. let the answer come, come to me, if you like, or come to us
0: yeah absolutely I I often liken it to you know when you move into a new house
1: you kind of have to live in it
0: a little while before you start knocking walls down to see how the space works and how you use the space I think it's a great analogy for leadership because so often there are sometimes new leaders that come into organizations and they feel like they've really got to make an impact and just go in with both boots and don't really take the time to understand the business before they start knocking walls down I think that can be a big mistake to make
1: yeah I agree and I think that 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 it's a, you need a confidence don't you a level of mm-hmm. confidence to think no I'm just going to watch and wait and, yeah. and and I don't I don't think I really had that when I was younger and so you, you did I did think oh no I've got to do this I've got to I've got to make progress I've got to make decisions yeah. in a way that I, I don't feel that so much now That's
0: good. And then, and thinking about advice beyond that then, if someone was looking to follow in your footsteps or was either, you know, had their sights set on a chief exec role or had just taken a step up into a leadership position, what advice beyond that would you offer to them?
1: About about how to be a good leader? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think to be um, honest is absolutely fundamental. I think if you're... Um, if, you, if you've got the trust of the organisation, then I think it's it's really easy to take people with you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got you've got people's trust, so that honesty and openness I think is really important. I I think that, and I do work in a people business, don't I? But everybody works in a people business. Yes. yes. and I think that. Thinking about and looking after the culture of your organisation is probably one of the biggest roles of the chief executive. And that's whether it's thinking about the culture at the board of, in our case, a board of trustees mm-hmm. or the culture in the kitchen. Yeah. And thinking that how can we how can we make sure everybody's working life is um is enjoyable rewarding that they feel engaged mm-hmm. because then they provide a much better service.
0: Yeah.
1: And I suppose always keep the you know the Simon Sinek um um talk about the uh, yeah, start with why. I mean I absolutely really really does resonate with me. Yeah. I I am always going back to why, what, what are we, why are we here? Um, and are we making the, this decision, this particular decision with that why in mind? Yeah, yeah,
0: it does help to navigate, definitely, if you've mm. got that clarity. And especially if your team has that clarity as well, if you can communicate that. And then yeah, yeah, it does yeah. very much helps. Yeah. and And so thinking about leadership i mean obviously simon sinek's been a massive influence for me and you mentioned before that maybe leadership books aren't always your favorite thing to read but thinking about um leaders past or present famous or otherwise that have really influenced you does anybody stand out and if so what is it about them
1: yeah do you know i i have tried to answer this question over the years about which fair and i think about famous people and then i, I I always struggle with it. I think it's a difficult question, Mm -hmm. but I suppose the, the, I'm going to come back to the sisters of the cross and passion. Um, They are a team of incredible women um, who, who I work with all the time, because although they set up St. Gemma's all those years ago, 40 odd years ago, they are still very much involved with the hospice today. They still own the hospice. Um, So I still see them a lot. And, but they're, but, they're very hands-off they provide guidership and support and Mm -hmm. mentorship and a kind of compass if you like but I look at what they did 40 odd years ago and think they they didn't have um, a strategy they didn't have a business plan they they had a vision and Mm -hmm. they thought this is what we want to do they ran a little school here on this site in Leeds and they thought that's not providing the best benefit to to local people Uh so they had a vision and they just said we can do it we believe it we know it's the right thing to do they didn't have any money to do it with but we believe in it and 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 so that I do come back to that all the time I Mm -hmm. it's that faith isn't it faith conquering um doubt and whether that's faith in the people of Leeds faith in God faith in humanity in general it's I, I think it's amazing that they that they had that vision mm-hmm. and that they've then stuck with it for all these years and and haven't wavered. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's I do testament.
1: massively admire them, yeah.
0: It's testament to the power of a vision as well, isn't it? Really. That if is. you have that and you have that why, everything else will follow. I'm not saying mm. it's not hard work to get it to follow, but it will follow if you've got that clear vision, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. And very they're very much about shared leadership and... Um, compassionate leadership and they're, and they're very you know it's a they're very generous um mm-hmm. in in recognizing people's achievements and bringing the whole community together um yeah. that we, we've got a, a significant project now with trying to care for homeless people in Leeds at the end of life okay. and it really takes me back to when the sisters first opened the hospice they used to feed um poor people from the kitchen at the back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when the lunch had been finished being served to patients they would offer food to people who couldn't afford it and so i think we can keep going back to that can't we equality and looking after the poorest in our society
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fantastic it sounds like a fantastic organization to be part of certainly i think beyond beyond just building the business and beyond serving the community they're doing more more for the local community than just being there for the palliative
1: care yeah 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 it is a it is a lovely organization to work for Yeah, I feel very privileged
0: yeah it it comes across it does it really does (laughs) come across and and so in terms of um reading I'm always really interested to understand what's shaping your leadership approach what's shaping your thinking are there books that you're reading at the moment or podcasts that you've listened to What, what kind of content have you consumed to to help your leadership style and approach
1: so I do listen to podcasts but generally they're kind of catching up with the news political podcasts and I quite often mm-hmm. find myself ranting and raving at the, <laughs> <laughs> at the phone as I'm listening to them. Um I but I did um so I I, I do struggle a bit with l- reading uh leadership books slightly like the traditional leadership books i do sometimes read them i do you know sometimes watch youtube videos mm-hmm. etc um I, I do like to read but what i read more of probably is um fiction but historically based fiction okay so i can't believe i haven't read it before but i've i have just finished reading the empire of the sun jg ballard okay. mm-hmm. um my daughter spent a couple of years in japan and so i've read a few japanese books since then either about Japan or by Japanese authors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's so what, what I like about that is it, it doing that makes me look at the world from a different angle yes so instead yeah. of seeing things through my lens or, or even through a British lens or you know my type of political lens or to, to not keep looking at the world in the same way yes. I do like yeah. to read things that that Challenge me a little bit, and I think we've got so much to learn, haven't we, from the history of different places and ours, um, Mm -hmm. and from the different societal norms and you know cultural norms that that you get in different societies. I was been reading something by a Japanese author, thinking, oh, if we spoke to each other like that, that would be really odd, but in Japan, it's really normal.
0: Was that Murakami? Book or so
1: seki it was a ishi, ishi- shizuo ishiguro uh, okay i've not come so across I've that read, one right i've read just read uh a couple of those um mm. and i've actually just started silence i'm not very good at pronouncing these um japanese authors Shusaku endo now huh. that wasn't pronounced very well was it but that was made into a film apparently a martin scorsese film okay that's and what silence? was the name it's called silence,
0: silence.
1: Now um, I've a look. so i've just started that one and it yeah interesting oh, yeah.
0: It is interesting to look from different perspective. I, I've been in a very different life before my husband trapped me and I didn't go to Australia. I'd applied <laughs> to do a, a Master's in Linguistic Anthropology for exactly that reason, because I find it fascinating, people and how their language has evolved because of this different cultures and different experiences. I find it absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So I see I'd not thought of it from that perspective, from a leadership perspective, that understanding different cultures and how um, other other countries... Um, conduct business or lead their people i'm sure that, that'd be really fascinating but one book that might be interesting is bushido so it's, it's about the the samurai in japan and right. how, how they developed their culture and their leadership skills. that's quite interesting what's it called Amy? From my perspective um, bushido so b-u-s-h-i-d-o
1: bushido okay yeah. now i'll have to i'll have to look it up i mean this this um silence um book is is about christian missionaries going out to japan when christians in japan were being um persecuted and expelled and murdered and uh, executed and i think the, the you know the what would drive somebody to go to a country where they know Mm-hmm. That they're likely to be persecuted, tortured, executed, and yet still they go. And to, yeah. I suppose partly because I don't—I don't think I could ever do that. So, oh. but what would drive somebody else to do it? Is that yeah. I just think it's fascinating to understand the way other people work.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I will definitely take a look at that one. Thank mm. you for that recommendation. <laughs> well, and yours—I'll <laughs> have a look at that too. <laughs> and and so, what's going to be happening over the course of the next six, nine, twelve months? What's happening at the, at the hospice? And how can people help if there is help to be offered?
1: Yep, so we're busy, busy as always. I mean, it's great that we're coming out of the pandemic. And I think one of the... I mean, our our core focus will, of course, continue to be our patient and family care and looking at how we can improve and shape services with our other partners in the city. Mm -hmm. And we're doing a lot of work looking at that. How can we make sure that our services are fit for the future and that... um, and that patients and families get care that is joined up, they don't get duplication, they don't get gaps, they understand what the, what is available for them. Mm-hmm. So that will continue to be um, a big focus. But another one is that we are, um, we've had a professor of palliative care and we're just appointing to, to a new professor. So that post has just gone out live this week. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big change will be we can get back to doing our our um, programme of events and yes. fundraising. Mm-hmm. So every year about 70% of our um, funds come from local people. So whether that's mm-hmm. gifts in wills um, mm-hmm. always makes up a significant amount of our funds. Um, but people doing Walking Up Mountains... Um, swimming across swimming pools or yeah. uh, riding their bikes or having a, a bake sale or you know all of those different activities um, yeah. and corporate organizations supporting us as well by fundraising mm-hmm. so we we are we've we had to stop a huge amount of that activity during the pandemic but we're now
0: say, that must have been a massive impact sorry to,
1: to no no to. it's fine yeah it yeah absolutely huge impact and we were, we have been really fortunate because we've had government funding, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think we would have. Well, I know we would have survived the pandemic without that funding, but it has made a massive difference, So we're still in a reasonable financial state as we as we move forward now, which yeah. we probably wouldn't have been without it. Yeah,
0: good.
1: good. And also, we've got something like uh, nine hundred volunteers who support the hospice. Wow,
0: that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, amazing. So we yeah. we run. 24 charity shops mm-hmm. and most of the volunteers are in the charity shops mm-hmm. which just wouldn't run without them so they're sorting yeah. clothes or standing behind a till or um, just helping out generally yeah. but we've got volunteers in absolutely every department in the hospice so we we will be we're always looking to grow and it, you know to to bring in new volunteers um, yeah. and develop new roles one of the things we're looking at is whether we can have more clinical volunteers to come in and befriend patients and spend time okay. on the ward and so on. Yeah. It's
0: a lovely idea. And if people wanted to get involved with the hospice and help out in some way, how can they find you? Is it just uh
1: Yes, it's a uh, st hyphen gemma dot um, Okay. Um but if you search St Gemma's Hospice we there you'll find us and we've got a we've got a how you can help section of the website. Brilliant. so um okay. people will be able to find us there yeah. jobs i mean you know if, if people are interested in in a career with the it really is a great place to work yeah us and the other 200 wherever people are listening in yes. the country yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: absolutely absolutely thank you carrie i've really enjoyed speaking with you so thank you for making the time and for sharing your story it's been great
1: no oh, thank you amy really nice to speak to you thanks